First, I just want to kind of tell you where my heart's at in all this. Um, not everybody knows who I am. I mean, I, they know I'm Pastor Kevin and, at Oak Grove. Um, I've been saved since 1994. I've been preaching since 1998. I've been ordained since 2003. Um, Oak Grove is the third actual full-time pastor that I've taken. I've been an interim pastor two other times. Of course, you know, all of us probably went through the whole youth pastor deacon route, whichever one you picked. But I can tell you over the last, since about 2015, the Lord really been dealing with me on what it really meant to be a pastor and shepherd people and and lead people. Um, before I came down here, we uh, ordained uh, the associate pastor because Oak Grove never called me. I never, I've forgotten all about him. Okay, so I was just going on about what we were, the mission we had in Kansas, and we were ordaining the young man up there and I'd you know been praying over him and pouring through the scriptures and when we commissioned him it was a very big deal to me to refocus my own heart on what it meant to be a shepherd and what it meant to be a pastor and yeah I'd even started taking him to a local church a friend of mine had started a shepherd's school to help equip men to lead their homes and pastors to uh who may not have afforded uh seminary uh to have a chance to seminary education um so i started taking kyle there before i even you know came here but as i did and as we went through that whole process together i saw great growth in him i saw great desire in him and when he was commissioned uh week the week before he was to be ordained he was broken about the responsibility that lay in front of him and i think that's good i think he needed to have that realization because i certainly didn't when i began preaching um, i was a pretty headstrong young preacher that thought i had all the answers and everybody ought to just listen to me <laughs> and kyle 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 was the, kyle was the exact opposite and I was, it was my pleasure to even gain an insight of what I should have been like, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago now. But as I was praying about what to talk about today, I just came back to the same thing. I mean, I could say all kinds of words. I could give you all kinds of my own thoughts and experiences, but I think the Word of God is the most edifying thing we could ever use. Um. So as I thought about coming to encourage you men and praying about it, I just kept being led back to 1 Peter 5. And I want to just kind of go through it a little bit about where my heart is. And this was something that really got laid on my heart fresh, you know, because two years ago it got laid on there. And then uh, it got laid on my heart fresh when I came down here and took the call to Oak Grove to really want to succeed in shepherding this church to want to be not 
what I think, but what God wants out of me to be in a elder role in the church. So First Peter chapter 5, I'm going to read prior to verse 11, but the context of this message is only going to be to verse 5 probably, but very important. He said, I exhort, to the, el- I exhort the elders among you as, fellow el- as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercise oversight, not out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, submit or be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties upon Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the grace of all, the great, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, He himself will restore you, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now this, when we read it for the most part in church, we take a very broad approach to Christians as a whole. But in the context of Peter's letter, he's speaking to the elders of the church. And he makes it very clear at the beginning of this final exposition that he's speaking to elders as an elder himself and I don't know that I ever really had that click in my brain that he's when he's talking about uh, humbling ourselves before God this is always talked about in the broad sense of all Christians and that's probably true but more specifically in this letter that's not who he's talking to he's talking elders he's talking to those who are shepherds in God's kingdom he tells us to be sober-minded to be watchful he tells us to clothe ourselves with humility you see I think that of all things humility probably should be one of the finest marks of a pastor, an elder, a bishop, whatever word we want to throw in there for this. But as I read this and as I thought to exhort you, I wanted to go through a few things that just jumped out at me. Number one, the ESV says to shepherd the flock of God. Uh, The King James says to feed the flock of God. 
the NIV says, be shepherds to the flock of God. I personally kind of like the NLT rendition of care for the flock of God. All of them mean the same thing. The, forgive me, I'm not a Greek scholar, but uh, the Greek word here, pomeneo, really means to act like a shepherd, to take on the role of a shepherd, to care for the flock of God. A shepherd's chief role is to feed and watch over the flock of God. I think it's very important for us to understand that these, all these versions, the feed the flock, care for the flock, be a shepherd over the flock, all of these show that pastors must give a genuine <coughs> care and concern and compassion for the flock of God. I know that in my own life, having been a pastor for over, you know, 19 years now, that we can very easily get caught up in uh, sermon series or, or uh, the, the uh, office work of the church and very easily step right out of, I'm pastoring these people, I'm shepherding them, I'm caring for them and loving them because our day can be consumed with all kinds of things. If we have a secular job, we got that. And if we, if we, then we still have sermon prep and we still have to uh, make sure all the uh, committees have done everything they're supposed to be doing. So we're calling them and checking on their work and seeing what's going on there. And that's all part of oversight, right? Which is what he tells us to do in this chapter. But the care, the feeding, and I like Matthew Henry's take on this, the feeding of the flock of God is the first preeminent thing of an elder, of a pastor, is to make sure that the flock of God is being fed. And not just fed uh, casually, but guarded against bad food. Guarding against false teaching. Which I think if we could level any accusation to any elder in, in all of the United States is that we don't take enough time to confront false teaching in our church. We don't take enough time to say, okay, if you think that's really what the Bible teaches, let's sit down and talk about it. Let's see what the scriptures say. Let's see what we believe and why we do. So I think Matthew Henry gets it right in making a great example of how it is we should feed the flock of God. Paul tells us in Acts 20, verse 28, to guard, to watch carefully, uh, pay careful attention to the flock of God that's in our charge. We're accountable for the people that are under us. And not really uh, until the last seven, eight years, did this become a real reality in my heart and in my life to, to take it so seriously? And I tell a lot of people, for a lot of the 12, first 12 or 13 years of me preaching, I think I was just a preacher, not a pastor. Not really caring. Just wanting to, just wanting to be the guy with the next sermon that everybody remembers or the quote that they'll quote when they're talking to their friends or, you know, oh, get the pat on the back that I, oh, good job. 
and not really concerned with the needs of the church, with the spiritual growth of the church, with the spiritual level of understanding within the church. How can we expect our people to give an answer for the hope that lies within them if we're not feeding and teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness through the Word of God? I know that's pretty heavy beginning. He says after feed the flock, he says exercise oversight. This verb is from the same verb that talks about being an overseer. And this, this emphasis here is that the shepherd's duty is to feed and to watch over the flock of God. The rest of the verse deals with the heart, the intent, the drive behind the elder, behind the pastor. Not under compulsion. Not as if I have to force you to do the things that you need to be doing in the church. Not as if I have to force you to be in your prayer closet or in your, you know. But willingly. Not for shameful gain, not for dishonest gain, as some translations say, or greedy gain. The King James says, for filthy liqueur, which is a very uh, out-of-date way of saying the same thing. In other words, it's not out of a sense of what's in it for me. Because we're supposed to be dead to ourselves. He that would be great among you must become the servant of all. Chief mark, as I said, of a shepherd should be humility. He said, but eagerly, ready to serve whatever need for Christ is your reward. Not domineering, not as lords like the Gentiles lord their business over those under their care, as Paul says, but being examples, examples that people can follow, examples that people need. I had a conversation just before I came up here. I messaged four pastors in Kansas. I messaged all the deacons at our church. I messaged my uh, replacement in Kansas, who's still my best friend, I replaced, I, and I messaged my wife and I told them, I said, I need you to pray for me because I'm going to encourage a group of men and I want to be an encouragement to them. And I had one of the deacons call me and say, well, preacher, you're going to do just fine. I said, yeah, but you're not going to follow the example of prayer unless I make an example of prayer. You have to know that I'm praying over all this stuff. That's why I send prayer out to my deacon. Over anything that I'm fixing to do or go do before I went to, to Coastal both times. I got to go to Coastal again this past Wednesday and, and I ended up only, I was only supposed to preach to 10 kids, ended up being 17 kids and about eight employees of Coastal that came in there and listened. But I sent out a prayer request for that. So I'm trying to make, trying to be an example. We gotta live, we gotta live in a way that people can follow. Paul tells Timothy, Philippians four nine. He says, "Whatever you have 
heard and seen and received of me. Do those things. I'm trying to give you an example to follow. I'm trying to give you a benchmark to reach for. I like where Peter ends here in verse 5. He says, our reward is an unfading crown of glory. You see, he says in the later on, just after this, he tells God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And in due time, He will restore you. Now look here, I want to end with this. He says in verse 10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, He Himself, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I can't tell you anything I want more in my life as a, as a pastor is to be established to be strengthened and confirmed and restored in my faith in times of difficulty. That's my prayer. This came on me so much so when I got down here. I don't always write my prayers down, but sometimes I feel led to do so. And I want to close this with a prayer that I prayed over myself on June 28th that I sent to all the deacons that I was I don't normally do that. I don't think I've ever done that. But once I prayed it and I really felt led to just share that this is what my heart is and where my heart is with God right now. Now, you'll have to forgive me because I read a lot of dead people and I use a lot of dead people language. But I said, Lord God, hear my prayer. I thank you for confirming afresh and anew my calling and election to the bishopric. Lord, I pray earnestly for wisdom and understanding and direction in shepherding your people. Lord, help me as I feed your sheep not to grow weary or neglectful in my duties. Help me to faithfully feed and teach, love and care for, reprove and rebuke, watch and guard your church, Christ's people. I pray that you would bless my endeavors and efforts to minister to them and to equip them for ministry. I pray, Lord, that you would make them apt to listen and to learn. Make them fruitful in all their endeavors to win the lost and to reach this community. Fill us fresh with your spirit and grant us favor and blessing for your, for your glory, Father God. I ask this in Jesus Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. And I prayed that over you men before I came. I wanted to end with that prayer because my heart, whenever I talk to pastors, you'll make a copy of that. My heart, yeah, when I talk to any pastor, is that I want them to know I want them to succeed. I want their church to succeed because when their church succeeds, the kingdom of God succeeds. We all succeed. That's my prayer for you men.